going to kick off episode 260 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Knife Bumps. It's from the Knife Bumps demo. It's from the band The Jagaloons. You can find them at thejagaloons.bandcamp.com to check out their demo album. It's pretty cool. I like this song in particular. And that's where we're using it to kick off this week's episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast, the home of classic monsters, modern talk, and their head of Rondo Hatton. I'm happy to have you here because this week we're doing something a little different here on Monster Kid Radio. Now, for the past few years, I've been talking about Hammer Films with my co-hosts and friends, Scott Morris and Casey Criswell over at 1951 Down Place. I kind of told myself that since I do the Hammer thing over there, I'm really not going to do the Hammer thing too in-depth over here. But after talking with filmmaker Joshua Kennedy, I decided I've got to talk about the 1964 Hammer film, The Gorgon. Why? Well, it happens to be one of his favorite movies. It is filled with a lot of his favorite elements when it comes to horror dumb, monster movie dumb, hammer dumb, just film dumb in general. And it directly influenced him when it came to his most recent movie called The Night of Medusa. That movie is coming soon. It is wrapped production. Post-production is done, and it is in the hands of his distributor right now. We're going to talk about The Night of Medusa. We're going to catch up with Joshua just in general, and we're going to talk about The Gorgon and a few other things along the way. Peter Cushing's going to come up quite a bit. And spoiler warning, if you haven't seen The Gorgon yet, well, we're probably going to spoil it, especially the big twist, the big reveal that really, if you're paying attention when you watch the movie the first time around, you probably figured out within the first couple of minutes. We're going to get to all of that, and I'm going to tell you about an upcoming screening happening here in the Portland, Oregon area this weekend, Saturday, March 26th. It's kind of short notice, but I'm still going to try to put together a Monster Kid Radio crash. Haven't done one of those in a little while. And then I have a special word that I'd like to share with the listeners as well at the end. So that'll all be coming right after this. was the scientific marvel of the century, a mighty juggernaut to blast through the solid rock of the Earth's mantle at a rate of 78 feet per minute. 4,000 miles into the heart of our planet. We've been on top of the Earth long enough. It's about time we found out what's underneath. Who's cut it? activating now. Steadying the throttles. Grand scale adventure from the world's favorite writer of fascinating fiction, Edgar Rice Burroughs at the Earth's core, the astounding discovery of a strange, forbidding land. Only seen it before in fossilized form. A primeval nightmare world whose shadows hid the nameless terrors that were yet to come. Humans of another age, chained in bondage by an army of ape men, preyed upon by monstrous giants. (laughs) 
fear that Huja, the sly one, will lead Jubal, the ugly one, back here. I heard about him. David, he will kill you. Watch him, David. Behind a barrier of molten lava, an empire of evil, an inferno ruled by winged creatures like guardians of the gates of hell, a host of Satan's, nourished by the flesh of sacrificial maidens. Doug McClure, Peter Cushing, Caroline Monroe. Take the most terrifying journey of your life. Edgar Rice Burroughs at the Earth's Core. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Oh, so it's not just in Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice. Waiting be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Are you telling me that at eight that lived two million years ago, Got up to that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. Search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. (laughs) 
malignant power of this creature is indestructible, transferring its force from mind to mind, from body to body. Beast is not dead. I put four bullets into him. You think evil can be killed with bullets? Satan leaves. The animal that you shot was only the host. It's alive in someone on this train. You saw his eyes. One look at them and you're dead. Anything that moves near that door, kill it. Run. Run for your life. Hide, but you can't escape. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, a filmmaker who just finished a movie, and hopefully later this year, you guys and gals will be able to see it for yourself. Joshua Kennedy, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for having me back. It is a pleasure to be back. <laughs> I, I was going to start, uh, I had this whole plan that I was going to do Carla's, when she's in the Gorgon, when she meets Paul in the cemetery, she's like, somehow I knew you'd be here, but I forgot to do that, so uh, <laughs> that's how I was going to start the, the show. But, it, you know. it, it's early, it's, it's a morning. You know. It is it's morning, a weekend, yes. you know, we're not... <laughs> It was a long night. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Gorgon. That's what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, I, I got to say, and I know we were talking beforehand, off mic, whatever. I love the new movie, and I can't wait for it to come out. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you're one of the five test audience people who have seen the screeners so far. But the, the response has been very positive, and I thank you for your positive feedback. And, uh, yeah, I hope it's does well. I hope other people like it. Oh, I think they will. I think well. Now, the title of the movie changed since the last time I talked to you. Yes. It was going to be called The Mark of Medusa, and then I changed it to The Night of Medusa, which I think is just a much more horror film title. I don't know if you agree with me. <laughs> oh, no, I think it is. And it's, yes. It's perfect for what it is. Having oh, seen the movie, you. I think the title fits just fine. Thank you, thank you. Yes, and I, I thought about it halfway through. I was like, given the story and what happens, I was like, eh, The Mark doesn't really work, but Night works. So that was where we went with it. And a super trivia note, we went under the in-production title of Supernatural, which was the in-development title of the Gorgon screenplay. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, it was. Wow. Yeah. You know, you'd think a guy who also co-produces a Hammer Films podcast would have known that. <laughs> or at least not forgotten it if I did know it beforehand. I don't know. But that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the one in-joke that I got. I was like, I get it. We're in production as Supernatural and people were like, I, I don't understand. I was like, never mind. Just I, I, I understand. <laughs> I'm getting a laugh out of it. So, I did it for me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, this movie, the last movie, The Vesuvius Experiment, and then, of course, Dracula AD 2015, clearly – Hammer film influence on what you do. Oh, yes. Huge, huge influence. And I mean, you like some of the other movies too. You like the 50s monster movies, things like that. But I got to ask, what is it about the Hammer films that's grabbed you? I, and I was thinking about this in the past few days, trying to think of why I like the Gorgon. I, it's just the atmosphere that those films exude, the world that they 
present to the audience is just a perfect example. I went to the craziest triple feature the other week, and it was Food of the Gods. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bird Eye Gordon giant rat movie. And uh, <laughs> Food of the Gods, Scream and Scream Again, which has its fans and has its, you know, people that hate it. And then it was The Vampire Lovers. And like just the wackiest triple feature. And you sit through Food of the Gods, it's like, okay, that was crazy. Scream and Scream Again is like, ah, oh, that's crazy. And then as soon as Vampire Lovers, as soon as that the Hammer Film title card comes up, it's like a Hammer Film production, like everyone in their seats just, just like, oh, here we go. This is going to be just the atmosphere that exuded off of that title card in comparison to the other two uh, grindhouse type features. It's just the, I keep repeating myself, the atmosphere that pervades each film is incredibly intoxicating <laughs> i'm trying to be so eloquent uh I, I don't know what what um what would you agree with that or oh they definitely have a, a feel a definite yes flavor that you can't get with anything else and i know universal is doing the gothics too and i love my universal but oh yeah yeah a hammer gothic film definitely has this tangible almost mm-hmm. presence Especially one directed by Terrence Fisher. Oh, there, there's certainly this this feel, this vibe that you can't find anywhere else. When yes. did you first start watching Hammer movies? It was super early. I mean, before I was five, that's like the marking point in my life. That's when I made my first movie and I was already quoting all these movies. So I was like, so I had to have seen it before then. I'd say three or four. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was really early. My mom is a huge Hammer fan and... Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and Vincent Price, who didn't do Hammer, but I mean, the Holy Trio, the Holy Trinity, were <laughs> she's heavily influenced by them, and the cheese, so she introduced them to me. But yeah, it's Hammer. It was Horror of Dracula. I'm pretty sure was my first. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula, the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise. try and understand. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenberg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. I mean, that's the perfect film to, to get introduced well, yeah. to. Yeah, I remember watching that, and I still have images of that in my mind. It was Horror of Dracula, and then the Gorgon followed soon after. It 
has been said that every legend and myth known to mankind is not entirely without some truth. It was here, under a full moon, in the little village of Van Dorf, that an ancient legend suddenly terrifyingly came to life. Doctor, you'll perform an autopsy. On a body that's turned to stone? heard of Megara? Megara. It's said that when mortals looked upon her face, they were turned to stone. Leave Vandor before it's too late. What is it you're afraid of? I'm afraid for you. Or of what I may discover, if I remain. We want you out of this house, mister. Now. For 2,000 years, Megara the Gorgon had kept her evil peace. But now this strange, unearthly creature returns to petrify every human being who crosses her path. <laughs> Starring Peter Cushing as the doctor, did his strange talents direct him to medicine or murder? Christopher Lee as the professor, confronted by a conspiracy of silence that paralyzed the village with terror. Akira died 2,000 years ago. It's her spirit we're concerned with today. It's found a resting place in somebody. Also starring Richard Pascoe, Barbara Shelley, Michael Goodliffe. The terrifying realism of the Gorgon. She comes to life and brings death to all those who look upon her face. Carla! I am waiting for Carla, Mr. Heights. And then maybe Frankenstein created woman. It was just like seeing them in different periods of Hammer. Yeah, uh, that's... Yeah, it's a nice smorgasbord and then like compiling them as the years went on and buying the VHSs at the local video store and just slowly building my hammer knowledge. But yeah, I was always, always drawn to them. And maybe it helps that they're British. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, the refinement in the acting and the, I don't know, maybe that's, that's a bad. No, no, that makes sense. There's a certain, um, I don't want to say the word class, but something, there, yeah. there, there's a, there's a distinction. Yes, yes, yes. Not to put down the universal. No, stuff, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's two, two different animals. It's just, I'm trying to think of a better word than class, but I'm blanking. <laughs> yeah, listeners are like, say, it's this way, it's this way. Yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, no. Screaming <laughs> at their iPod. Keep scream louder, we'll hear you. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> now, the Hammer films, uh, when I first discovered them, I just, I mainlined all the Dracula's and Frankenstein. It's just one writer for the other, writer for the other. Yes. I didn't come to the Gorgon for a little while, though, so I, I was a little late to the party on that one compared to the other ones. But it fits right in there. It does. Because it's got the Cushing, it's got the Lee, it's got the Terrence Fisher again. Probably the master director to come out of Hammer, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I completely agree. He's my favorite director, so I might be a little biased. <laughs> watching them all out of order and then watching them and then understanding the order they came in, they fit so perfectly. And I want to say that this was a Bray Studios production. 
where they did all the Dracula, they did Frankenstein, the mummies, and they moved to Elstree soon after. From what I've read, Bray was very, like, homey and had the very, like, the technicians that they all knew. And as soon as they made the move to Elstree, and you kind of notice it in, I mean, something like the Reptile or Rasputin, and you're like, oh, it looks better. It seems like they get a bigger budget and they have more space to spread out in, but it doesn't have that little homey Bray Studios feel, if you know what I mean. Right. This was the last Bray Studios film that they shot with Cushing and Lee and Fisher. There is a, a marked difference. I still like a lot of the Elstree. I mean, I'm not saying I don't. I don't think that's oh, what you're saying no, either. No, no. But there is a marked difference. There's a, a kind of a homey mm-hmm. feel to the Bray Studio films. The Elstree films, I mean, I love Plague of the Zombies. I oh, love yeah. that one quite a bit. So do I. And, and Rasputin, they're great. But you can kind of feel them... Uh, Untangling a little bit. That's the perfect word. All right. <laughs> untangling. I mean, that's you put into words exactly what I was thinking. I don't want to say the downfall, but you can see the foreshadowing of. Yeah. If, I mean, if you look hard enough, you can kind of see, okay, okay, now. I mean, it's not so tangible. It's. I mean, if you're looking for it, you can find it, if you know what I mean. It's, it's very, yes. very subtle. Totally agree. And uh, spoken like a true Hammer fan, man, we could talk for hours about just Hammer in general. Oh, my God, I know. (laughs) It's a good thing we don't live near each other because we'd get nothing done. I know, I know. (laughs) We come over, let's watch a movie. Okay, then we talk for like five hours after it. It's like, well, let's put this one on. Well, let's compare it to this other one. Well, if you look at the Universal one, blah, blah, blah. No, we can't do that, man. I want more movies out of you. Oh, well, yes. You, you got to make more movies. Oh, I will. I am. I'm starting Sherlock Holmes tomorrow. Really? I am, yes. Wow. I think I brought it up last podcast too yeah you did mention it yeah but that is happening that's wow you're just a machine that's so they tell me (laughs) (laughs) as far as the gorgon goes Mm -hmm. did you love it the first time you saw it or did you take a little while to warm up to it it's one of those movies and it's very rare that that it's happened to me since i mean there are just certain movies that just hit you at the right time hit you the right mindset and I had to have been four or five, so I mean, everything that I was soaking up was going to have an important part on me. I was huge on Clash of the Titans beforehand, so I already knew the whole Medusa. And when I say Clash of the Titans listeners out there, I'm sure you'll agree that is the 1981 Harryhausen version, not the the remake, uh, obviously. And um, there's a remake. We will not mention the remake. <laughs> <laughs> those we don't speak of. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Harryhausen. I still think that his Medusa is the definitive Medusa. I mean, this is coming from the number one Gorgon fan in the world, and I'll still say that his Medusa is still the ultimate screen Medusa. How do, how do you weigh in on that? Yeah, no, the Clash of Titans, I think it was the first time I was ever exposed to the concept of the Medusa. Mm-hmm. And the movie poster gave me nightmares. Oh, uh, I yes. saw the movie poster before I saw the movie, obviously. And I would have nightmares about the things in the movie poster coming after me. Oh, man. So that movie had a huge impact on me. I love the nice. film. The music's yes. gorgeous. The, the stop motion, oh, Harryhausen. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I had seen that before The Gorgon, and it was the perfect storm of things. Uh, I had already seen Horror of Dracula. I was already familiar with Cushing and Lee, and then I was fascinated with the character of Medusa in Clash of the Titans, and it was going to be on... It was back in the days, I mean, I say back in the days, and I'm sure there's older people saying, ah, he was born, you know, 1994, it doesn't count. But, uh, like, <laughs> when TV Guide was still a thing, and, I mean, going through and, like, looking at the, the movies that are going to be on and setting your VCR to work and seeing Cushing and Lee in a movie about Medusa, I was like, oh, my God, it was going to be on AMC or TCM, it was going to be a midnight show, and we were on vacation 
that weekend and I stayed up. Everyone, we were all in the same room. My sister, if I was four, she had to have been two, so she was tiny. So we were all in the same room. Everyone went to, went to sleep and I stayed up and watched the Gorgon at midnight. And the image of when she first comes out, I mean, when she comes out in the finale behind the column and you see her in full light, that image just like was a bullet right to the brain, just sizzled into my soul. And I mean, instant, I'm pretty sure I didn't understand some of the whole love story thing. Cause I mean, you think about it, if a four year old, four or five year old watching that movie is like, what, uh, what kind of twisted mind works, <laughs> works that way? It's a love story at its most basic. Uh, I'm sure a lot of that was lost on me, but the image of Prudence Hyman as an older woman, I don't know. That was the worst possible thing I could have seen. I mean, in my in my head at the time, that was the f- most frightening image ever conceived by the mind of man. And then you look at it today, it's like, ah, that looks kind of cheesy. But it hit me at the right time, and I've loved it ever since. Bought the VHS soon after and just on a constant loop. You know, you say it looks kind of cheesy now. I know a lot of people say that, but I think for the time, it, it's still pretty solid. Well, I mean... It could have been better. Obviously, I'm extremely biased. I have no problem with it at okay. all. But, I mean, I'm just trying to voice the what everyone says about it. It's like, if the monster was better, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, how else would you have done it? You know, at 1964, how would you have done something? like? I think they do a fine job. I've read that Barbara Shelley suggested that they weave live snakes into a wig for her to wear. It's like, I, yes. I don't know how that would have worked. I know, I know. <laughs> and, you know, for my Medusa movie, that was the ultimate goal, was to actually do that wish, was to have actual snakes in the hair. And I went to the pet shop here in New York City. They were like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to work. I was like, oh, great. So <laughs> so it, if I couldn't do it now, how could they have done it in 64? No. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that they ended up with a string contraption. I've read so many times about how they do it, and I still don't know how they – my mind doesn't work that way. There's a string on a drum and they would rotate it and each string would pull the, the snakes and the hair and apparently it weighed 15 pounds and the screws were screwing into her head. It was, I don't, I don't know, it just sounds like a complete mess. But it looks great on screen, I, I think. I think so too. And they do a good job of not letting us linger on it too long. Exactly. I think the most effective shots of it are the reflection in the shadows. That's yes. where the creep comes in for me. Reflections have always gotten to me anyway. You put a scary image in a reflection. And oh, I, yeah. Oh. No, yeah. That, that's – yeah, that's a – I don't know if that's a primordial thing, or, but I, I completely understand that. Yeah, as soon as you see something in the mirror, it's uh, – oh, yeah. Yep. For me, it's the um, – he goes to the castle, and then we see her behind the column, and it's just her silhouette, and it's like, oh, man, what – what is that? It's her silhouette, and then he runs out, and we see a full length shot of her. But it's from it's in a super long shot, and she just backs up into the shadows, and the leaves are blowing. I think that's its most the most effective shot. Oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Literally, I'm not, I'm not being facetious here, man. Goosebumps, such yeah, a great image. It is, it is, and and people say at the very end they shouldn't have revealed like the full and full light shot. How do you feel about that? I'm okay with the payoff. I'm I am okay too. With it. I mean, and again, we're probably biased. Yes. I mean, how would how would we feel if we never s- saw her? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you need to have that that final 
exactly reveal and yeah i mean there's a lot of pressure on a final reveal shot like that because you've led up to all this for what it is i think it works okay the one gripe i suppose i would have is every once in a while you linger too long on one of the snake heads and you see the tongue just sticking out and it just it's obviously not real but you know that's after watching it what 20 30 times now i see that Mm -hmm. first time viewing or even repeated Lee, after that, I'm sure I didn't pick up on that. Uh, all the stuff that's going on in the finale when you're like, okay, wait, huh, what? And yeah. he's coming in at the back, and now we have lightning, oh, and she's at the column now, and he's turning to stone. Uh, so, yeah, after you focus on it so many times, you begin to notice its its wrinkles. But um, You know, we're fans, so, and that's what we do. Yeah, we we yeah. pick it apart, but it's out of love, man. And, oh, totally. Oh, yes, total love. With Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in this film together, I mean, you've got a couple of power players, you know, the duo when it comes to Hammer films, as far as I think anybody's concerned. Yes. What did you think about the kind of sort of role reversal here? Because Lee's not necessarily the villain here, and Cushing's not necessarily the hero. Lee had they had the last movie they made was The Mummy, so I mean, having Cushing as the adventurer, archaeologist type guy, and have Lee as the non-speaking monster mummy and then just switching them around and it's the only time they do that in hammer unless i'm missing something completely obvious well i mean they did that sherlock holmes movie but it's not like oh it's oh. not like lee was the hero of that either huh he wasn't the villain but he's like the love interest the yeah <laughs> how does basketball but i mean would you consider that a hammer horror yeah that's true yeah that's yeah true. for a hammer horror, especially a gothic horror you don't see that but, I mean, in Gorgon, I'd say Lee is more like the comedic relief than anything. Well, that's true. And Cushing isn't the valiant Van Helsing character either. I mean, that's the big thing with the Gorgon is they, they switched roles. And I was like, well, would you put Lee as Dr. Namaroff as Cushing's role in this? I think it works the way they, they cast it. Because imagining Cushing in the Christopher Lee role, in the Professor Meister role, mm-hmm. I, I think he would go – Kind of the way he did as Abner Perry in at the Earth's core, like he's like the, <laughs> you know, the bumbling. I mean, oh, because I mean that's Professor Meister's role, the bumbling. Oh, something, something, putting the pieces together. Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> he should yeah. go very, very Doctor Who. I don't know. That's that's how I would see it. And having Christopher Lee as Doctor Namaroff, which might have been interesting. But I think they each bring their own unique take on the roles, and I think they do things that the other could not in that role. Did that make any sense at all? No, it made perfect sense. I, okay. I think Lee and Cushing have these archetypes that they play for Hammer quite a bit. You know, Cushing, yes. especially with the Van Helsing, and Lee, especially mm-hmm. with Dracula. But you know, they also did other movies where they established Rasputin. He's not oh, the yes. good guy. You know, <laughs> yes, yes, the Mad Monk. Exactly. So. I like seeing them kind of change what they normally play a little bit. That's why I like Horror Express so much because Christopher Lee oh isn't the villain God. in that. I know it's not Hammer. Yes. Oh, but it's so good. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it makes little little geek moment there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. No, it's it's a fantastic film, and yes. you know I also like a movie called Nothing But the Night from seventy three. Oh yes. Have you seen that? Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, thank that's, you. You're like the first person I've mentioned that to. That's like, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> I know it. It's very. I mean, I want to say it has kind of a Wicker Man vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? I oh mean, yeah. The, and it's. I mean, no one brings that movie up. I mean, everyone's it's Horror Express. Some, some, not not to put down Horror Express, but yeah, that one very underrated. I agree, one hundred percent. See, this is why we get along. Yes, exactly. This is why we are friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a shame he didn't do better. I would have loved to have seen those characters in other films, but oh, I, know. Uh, I love that one quite a bit. And then as far as Peter Cushing, seeing him play the villain in, yes. in other movies like uh, Land of the Minotaur or Corruption. Oh, yes. you know, oh. Just, oh. Or, I mean, Star Wars. Well, the, there is that. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's he's bossing around Darth Vader. Everyone forgets that he's bossing around Darth Vader, that whole first scene yeah. at the... And he's like, Vader, release him. He's like, okay, as you wish. And this bickering is pointless. All right, now I'm going to go off into Cushing Land. But, uh, Cushing Land um, is a good place to be. It's fine. It is. You know? I live there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, um, to, so, okay. I lost track of where we're going. I, I think <laughs> I did too. You know, we started yeah. gushing about these other movies. It happens. Gushing <laughs> about Cushing. Uh, <laughs> that should be the name of a podcast. <laughs> that should be the name of a podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to find my way back. Uh, say Cushing Lee, not necessarily playing their normal type roles in the Gorgon. Oh, oh yes, and okay. and so, and the thing with Gorgon, I feel, and you'll probably agree with this, or you can disagree. It's okay. You're my friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, I mean, I'm going back to the Mummy again, where everything is so clean cut, good and evil. Yes. You have. George Pastel and obviously Christopher Lee as the the mummy, and then you have clean cut heroes. You have Cushing and Yvonne Furneaux, or for I don't know if that's I how I pronounce it. Furneaux, okay, yes, and um, I mean good and evil. And with Gorgon, it's very. I mean, could you say Cushing is a villain? It's very almost washed out. It's not black and white. It's kind of gray because in the end, Cushing is just doing the best he can in the horrible or shall i say namarov is doing the best he can in the situation he's put in that's one of the things that i like about this movie is that there isn't a clear cut he is the villain yes you know he's not necessarily being heroic in how he's behaving and handling oh, yeah, what's yes. going on but you know he's scared he's out of control mm-hmm. so he's doing the best that he can yeah, that's one of the things I like about this movie quite a bit is that there there is no clear cut cookie cutter. Yes, man in black, man in white, kind of, and it gives you a chance to really kind of chew on the characters here and kind of yes. think about where their motivations are. Um, I think Meister uh, Christopher Lee probably is. I mean, I hate to say it, maybe the least developed of the characters. He's oh yes, but he's great. Yo, um, the way yes. he comes blustering is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. When he turns over the knife to the police. <laughs> Perhaps you will return this to Mr. Ratoff with my compliments. He left it behind him when he attempted to kill Mr. Heights yesterday. What are you insinuating? I'm not insinuating anything, Doctor. You sent Ratoff to follow Carla to the Castle Borsky, where she met Paul. When she left, Ratoff attempted to kill Paul with this knife. So I could go on and on and on, but I'll stop there. <laughs> no, don't, don't stop on my account. I'm loving All right. this. No. <laughs> If you say so. <laughs> no, he's spent – Lee is such a powerful force. He's like a force of nature when he comes into a movie like this. Oh, he does. And he comes in like at the last – past the 40-minute mark. I mean he has this little thing at the beginning, but then he comes in right. towards the end and just starts tearing stuff up. <laughs> but yes, I agree. He's very He's very underdeveloped. And not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, he doesn't come in until later on in the film, so you don't have a lot of time with him anyway. But you do, I suppose, need this kind of force to come in to clean everything up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Pascoe, who I think we should talk about in a bit, um, as Paul, as an audience member, you see how 
And I mean, it's not really a secret who the Gorgon is. I mean, I, that's another problem a lot of people have with it. It's like, it's obvious who the Gorgon is. It's like, well, you know, I don't think that's really the point. Right. It's to make it, it's not supposed to be a surprise thing. It's, it, you're supposed to get involved with the characters and see the situation they're in and feel for them. Anyway, so Paul, he's not going to be the, the voice of reason. Obviously, he's loves head over heels for Carla. And so you need that, like you said, you need that Christopher Lee to come in and like sort everything out and slap them and <laughs> put them in place. <laughs> no, yes. you, you definitely need that. And I mean, before we talk about Pascal, I want to mention one more thing about Cushing. Oh, please, please. The chops, man. <sighs> <laughs> Never before in my life did I wish I could grow facial hair like that. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and you did it in your movie. Yes, that was my little nod to yep. Dr. Nemiroff. And I made sure I saved all of my scenes for this one weekend because I was not going to wear that for much longer. <laughs> I had a beard and I was like, okay, I'm going to make it that Dr. Namaroff beard thing and shoot everything that weekend. And then we'll shave it and be completely clean shaven by Monday when class starts again. <laughs> and that's totally him because he had apparently an allergic reaction to spirit gum. We're again, gushing about Cushing. Yep. That was, that was his real stuff. We, we need a stinger for that. You whenever that happens, you know, gushing, yeah, yeah, right? about Cushing? Yeah. gushing about Cushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cushing is known as like hot props Cushing. He's always doing something with his hands. Mm -hmm, but in mm -hmm. this movie, I couldn't help but just watch his beard. So it worked. <laughs> <laughs> the beard is his prop in this film. There you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard Pascoe. Yes. He, he's our romantic lead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience with him in terms of movies I've seen him in, that sort of thing. Have you seen him in much else? He really didn't do much. He was very, very much a stage actor. And a lot of TV, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, I just know him as Rasputin's assistant in Rasputin. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, I'm probably going to forget something, but those were the two Hammer films he did. And I know there's a filmed version of Julius Caesar somewhere, like the BBC did in the 70s, and I think he's Brutus. He's one of the main characters in that, which I haven't seen. I've seen clips on YouTube and a few clips here and there, and he just looks great. And I think personally, I might be completely wrong, since he was a big... Shakespeare, he was part of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Maybe personally, and my friend Dan and I have talked about this. Hi, Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that maybe he felt that the horror films were beneath him. Hmm. I, I hope not. I mean, not that Hammer was below Shakespeare and something. I don't know. That, that's just what I felt because he's really good in it. And oh, I, he's great. Again, people might be throwing their iPhones away when they hear this. I mean, he's really the lead of the Gorgon in a way. You know, he is, and it's an interesting thing about this movie is that it's structured a little differently because you don't get to meet the protagonist, you know, air quote or whatever, uh, until he enters, and he doesn't show up right away. I mean, you, oh, no, you start yeah. with this other couple that, first time viewing, I thought, well, this is going to be about them, and no, they're they're throwaway victims they're at the very gone, beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard Pascal, like you said, he was in Rasputin. He was also in Hammer's Sword of Sherwood Forest. That's right. That's the one yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah. No, he's in Cushing as the Sheriff of Nottingham, and that is fantastic. Oh, there he is yes. playing another villain. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. There you go. So there you go. There's I, the range. I, I always forget about that movie. No, and it's a Fisher film, too. I should oh, it's gorgeous. slap myself. It looks yes. so good. It does. I like everything about that movie except for the Robin. Huh? I just... He doesn't seem to fit for me. but I don't even remember the Robin Hood. It's Richard Green. He played Robin Hood on TV for years. I just don't feel like he earned it for the film, but that's yeah. a completely different conversation. Yes, yes. <laughs> when we have our Robin Hood podcast, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast of Sherwood Forest. Okay, yeah, yes. Robin Hood Radio. That, that, oh, we'll there you go. Uh -huh. Ah, <laughs> yeah, somebody trademarked ah. that. 
Okay, so Gorgon. Uh... Yes. <laughs> Barbara Shelley. <sighs> I know that you've got a thing for the hammer glamour. And mm-hmm. rightly so. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, who doesn't? They're it's, gorgeous. It's... They're talented. Yes. They're charismatic. And they appear in your music videos. So. <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't seen his YouTube videos, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. But Josh has serenaded some of these women before because he's a lucky, lucky man. Yes, thank you. Or he's just very convincing. I don't know. But something (laughs) happened. Uh, But Barbara Shelley, compared to like all the other women that you see in these Hammer films, where does she rank for you in terms of, I don't know, favorite actress? Number one, I'd say. I mean, I think we fall in love with the Hammer glamour of the later 60s and the 70s. But there's something about Barbara Shelley, the class and the talent that that woman has. And she's in this. She's in Gorgon. She's in Rasputin. She's, there's another one that she's in Village of the Dan. She's in Quatermass in the Pit. That's the one I'm thinking yes, of. Yes. And she did one of the Dracula films. And, but yeah, five million, you know, Quatermass in the Pit. She's fantastic in that. Yes. 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 And which Dracula? Oh, she did. Um, well, she did Prince of Darkness. Yeah, she's in Prince of Darkness. How could I forget? Yes, and she's also in Blood of, for Dracula or something. It's not a Hammer film. A it's Blood not of the Vampire. Favorite. Blood of the Vampire. I think that's it. Yes, which isn't really a vampire film, but yeah, it's not one of my favorites. And I think I've seen it once, but she is in that. But yeah, Prince of Darkness. She, there's just something. Again, we're going back to that word class. That she's so invested in her characters. She's. Uh, here, help me out with this. <laughs> uh, no, man, I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that Hammer, right or wrong, does become known for. Yes. You know, it's we were calling it glamour, but let's. It's what Hammer kind of became known for in the late sixties, early seventies. There's a lot of nudity, um, cleavage, heaving mm-hmm. bosoms, things like that. I feel like Shelley didn't necessarily need to go that way to make an impression. I And that's not to say that the other ones needed to either. I'm oh, saying, yeah, yeah. You know, we needed to see that much of Caroline Monroe to get that she's a beautiful, talented woman. Yes, yes, yes. That's just a bonus. But, <laughs> you know, Barbara Shelley didn't need to do that. She does carry the film. I am actually in, I'm deeply in love with her in Quatermass in the Pit. Oh, of all yes. the movies that she's done for Hammer and otherwise, that's my go-to. Just She is so yes. fantastic in that. And I'm going to take... Prince of Darkness on this one, even though I forgot about it earlier. But she has the greatest character arc of like one of the greatest character arcs in cinema history to go from the uptight Helen. It's like, we need to go back to London. It's like, oh, if we listen to you, <laughs> Helen, we'd still be in London, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't like it here. And then my favorite line, which is, um, there'll be no morning for us. And then she completely transforms into that vampire vixen heaving and screaming on the table as she's about to get staked. It's, that's just such a great character arc. And she does it so believably when um, Andrew Keir says he's something to the like of this is only a shell, and when we destroy the shell, then we'll release her soul. It's like, you completely buy that. It's like, this isn't the Helen we saw at the beginning of the film. This is a complete demon that's taking over her body. And it, it's, oh, it's such a great performance. And to go back to what you're saying about Hammer Glamour in the 70s, I think Hands of the Ripper, oh, which you haven't seen yet. I know, I know, I need oh, to. I even got oh. it here on Blue. I just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Again, people dismiss it, but it's... I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'll I'll just say some very basic things. You look at that film and you look at the Gorgon, which have somewhat similar storylines and the cleavage and the 
the slight nudity in that film is such a direct contrast to the Gorgon. Like how we're talking, Barbara Shelley didn't need that. And again, like you said, the girls in the seventies didn't need that either, but you know, it's a bonus. It, it's just a nice contrast to see the two stories like that. Again, did that make sense? I just rambled. You like, are trying crazy. so hard to dance around hands of the Ripper. I appreciate you not wanting to spoil it for me. Uh, one, <laughs> you know, tell you what, I don't have anything else going on this weekend. I will put it in my player when we're done here. I will watch oh, that sweet. with a cup of yes. coffee and, and I'll get back to you. Okay, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, watching it, I've, it's slowly become an obsession. I watched it for the first time three or four years ago and I caught it. It was on TCM a few times and then I got the Blu-ray and I watched it and it's slowly grown to be one of my favorite. I think it's that. No, that and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I'm going off topic. I think those are the two most underrated ham films. Hmm. Right now, in my mind, at least, I think they're completely underrated. Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I don't think I've seen that in a long time. Oh well, you know my fascination with Martin Beswick. So, <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I, it, yes. I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> does Barbara Shelley? Did, did she do conventions? That, I don't know if she ever did, or if she she's still around, right? Yes, she is, and she does all of the London Hammer okay. conventions. And I was just like, oh, just to go and thank her for being i mean she's a titan of gothic british horror wouldn't you wouldn't you say i mean oh she, yeah yeah the, hands down no question yes yes and i'm trying to think of what it is about her it's just the elegance the refinement the britishness the <laughs> the the dedication to her roles and just the talent out of this. She just, she has it. She was fully committed. I, I almost wish that they had found a way to make her the Gorgon character as well. Just to yes. have just a little bit of continuity there. I'm not saying I didn't like what Prudence Hyman brought. I mean, it's such a different look, you know, making her this older woman uh, with the makeup and all that. But I, I just, just uh, to have Barbara just a little bit longer. Yeah. And I mean, just to, she, what she did with the vampire, in Prince of Darkness, yeah. you could have just imagined what she could have done. And the, I think it was Anthony Nelson Keyes, the producer of Gorgon, if I'm correct. Some, he said he was into the thing. He was he goes uh, into the idea that we need to make it a different actress because we don't want the audience to know who it is. And you're like, you look at the story and you're like, we kind of know what it is, buddy. So <laughs> you're not really surprising anybody here. Oh, it's her? No way. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? But yeah, oh, that would have been cool. Like give her. I mean, that's vampire, but give her fangs or something like snake eyes. And I, I don't know. That would that would have been cool. Alas, alas. What did you think of Barbara Shelley's or the, her character, uh, Carla's relationship with Nemiroff? I found it a little creepy. Yes. And according to the – I read the novelization. There's a novelization, huh? There's a novelization in the Hammer Horror Film Omnibus. And they did two volumes and – the first volume, it's The Gorgon, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, Curse of Frankenstein, Revenge of Frankenstein, and Dracula Prince of Darkness. Oh, maybe that's volume two. Anyway, that's not really important. But in the novelization, for me anyway, and made the, the relationship even more creepy because according to the novelization, if I remember correctly, it's been a few years since I read it. She's 19. Carla's like 19, 20, and he's – Peter Cushing, I think Peter Cushing is like 53 when he plays that role. So it just it adds that whole weird feel to in the novelization more so than in the movie. And then when you see Hands of the Ripper, we can discuss that even even more because they kind of do the same thing. But yeah, it's 
father daughter relationship lover yeah. did they have did they have a thing in the past obviously i mean he's in love with her but did they have a relationship in the past obviously she wasn't fighting him so much before paul came around he i think uh namroff really wanted there to be a little bit more <laughs> than, than what he ended up with by the time Paul showed up. There yes. did seem to be some, again, it's not quite the right word, but there seemed to see, be some consent yes. until Paul showed up. Mm-hmm. When the finger breaks off and he runs up to her, they're almost like cuddling. And then, how could I forget? He, she's reciting her, what she remembers from the letter. Mm-hmm. And then he goes up to her and they're, they're like about to make out they're about to get it on and she just like pulls away that first thing and it's like whoa this, this, obviously this has happened before you know the scene i'm talking about yes it's almost the beginning of a love scene and she she draws back and you're like whoa i guess this hap- this has happened before obviously because yeah. she knows what's coming so yeah yeah it's weird and it's so hard to see cushing in a role like i mean i know yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we talk about how he's always a hero but you know, let's not forget he was Dr. Frankenstein for a long time. Yes, so, yes, he was. You know, and, and he did some pretty terrible things in some of those movies. Yes, he did. Yes. But <laughs> as we giggle about it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um. <laughs> there, there did seem to be a sense of taking advantage mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in the film, which, again, it's all shades of gray. That doesn't. And that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not clear cut. I mean, obviously, he cares for her and again he's in an awful situation knowing what he does knowing what he knows that she's going to transform into this hideous creature and obviously he has affection for her and he doesn't want her to get killed off he doesn't want to kill her but she's out killing everyone in the village and again the shades of gray it's a very dynamic character i feel yeah i agree one of my favorite scenes in that again i could say that about every scene in that movie um when he's (laughs) Ratoff comes in, Jack Watson, he goes, you haven't forgotten it's the night Magetta usually strikes. And then he just has this, we finally see Namoroff alone exposed and he just sits down and just like starts crying, just realizing that he's going to have to go out and kill her finally. When he's like, Carla, Carla, and he just sits down and like you see the one tear coming down. Oh, that's a great scene. But yeah, you see the the struggle that he's going through. It's, It's a fantastic scene. It is one of the better scenes, one of my favorite scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. Is when you really see Cushing exposed, yes, coming to terms with what's really happening and the struggle. Yes, and he does it so well, so eloquently, and just so mm. yeah, he's a master. Yes, he was. The man was a master. Mm-hmm. A lot of actors and actresses and, and technicians from the Hammer films appeared in classic Doctor Who. Okay, I haven't watched a lot of who okay thank you because i haven't either okay 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 <laughs> but i i do know that the second doctor is in this patrick troughton yes as 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 uh, inspector kenoff yes i was gonna call i was gonna call him inspector camp but that's the inspector in young frankenstein but it, <laughs> <laughs> inspector kenoff yes you know we mentioned earlier that professor meister seems to be the, the least developed of the main characters i do feel like kenoff maybe is cut from that same cloth because he's so one directional, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't waver and he, he's, I don't want to say stereotype, but he's got his, the way he's built and that's about it. I will share, I mean, after watching this movie 5,000 times, there's one, it's so, 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 this will give you a hint of how many times I've watched this, so, such a little subtlety in his character that made me love him even more. 
like he's very one dimensional, but there's he they go in and they're about to arrest Paul and Christopher Lee's there, and it's right before the big knife fight, and it's right before they go and search the house for Carla, and Christopher Lee has read Carla Hoffman's um I should sorry Professor Meister has read Carla <laughs> Hoffman's report about her being an amnesia victim, which is supposed to be the big secret that Namroff is covering, and it's it's such a little subtlety that Patrick Troughton does, and it just it for me it just ties everything together. Christopher Lee, oh, sorry, Professor Meister, he says, yes, she's an amnesia, an amnesia victim is a great responsibility. And as soon as he says that, Peter Cushing, as Dr. Namaroff, looks up and at the same time, Patrick Troughton moves his head and looks at Peter Cushing. And so you realize he's in on what's been going on this whole time. For, I mean, he obviously realizes that Christopher Lee has unraveled the mystery. And so he, it's like, yes, an amnesia victim is a great responsibility. And it's like, he knows, he knows. And for that, I was like, oh, okay, all right. He's on Namaroff's payroll. It just it tied everything together for me. And it, it's, it's so quick. And then the camera cuts to a different, uh, different shot. And you're like, oh, I mean, that's one of the – I freaked out when I – I mean, I've seen that movie, again, 5,000 times. And when I saw that, this, it was recently, a year or so ago, when I caught that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Eked out, like ran around the room. I was like, oh, it makes sense now. So, I mean, that one split second rounded out his character, for me anyway. Because, I mean, yeah, he's always – he's for me, he's, he's that one-dimensional cardboard policeman going around bossing everyone. But as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, it all, it all comes together. I mean, there's me gushing about this movie. You know, you know what? We're a couple of film geeks. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you've got a good movie like this that you can watch over and over and over again and pick up little things here and there. Yes. And yes there yes. aren't that many movies that can do that to somebody, I feel like. And this one, there's a lot of layers here. There's a lot that yes. you can really dive into. I mean, you've got the familiar hammer trappings. You've got Bernard Robinson's amazing production design. Oh, my God. Those you, columns. Oh, man. That set, you know. I would have loved to have been able to just hang out on a Robinson set for like a weekend. You know, I was asked not too long ago. We had to do a questionnaire. I was like, what set if you had in a film class, what set if you could choose anything, any set to be on, what would it be? And I chose Kasaborski. Just like, oh, man, the wow. cobwebs, the leaves, the statues, that huge throne mm-hmm. at the top of the stairs. Good oh. stuff. The man was a master. I mean, well, everybody at Hammer at the time were at the top of their game. I mean, it's oh, hard yeah. to see this movie. There's nothing you can really fault in this movie. I, I feel like there's just so much excellence on display. Yes. And, yes. and to be heard. I mean, James Bernard, that score. Oh, I know. Mm. Yes. I'm getting mm-hmm. chills again. I'm I know. A, I'm a film score guy. I love my film scores. That's all I listen to during the day at work. That's me all over. Yep. <laughs> And I, I cannot tell you how much James Bernard music I have on the two iPods I carry around with me. So. I am right with you. <laughs> it's familiar. I mean, it's Bernard, but it doesn't strike the Dracula tone. It doesn't strike the Frankenstein tone. It's its own beast, its own thing. And that's, I mean, you think of Dracula, and it's blaring and it's in your face. This one is just calling to you from, like, the woods. And right. It's just, 
siren song and it's drawing you in and it's like wait where what where are we what what's going on dracula bah, dah, dah, frankenstein is the the curse of frankenstein um i mean all of his i mean that's i think we talked about this on the last podcast every score of his you can sing the, <laughs> yeah. the title yeah but um yeah this one it's calling to you from very ethereal and it's oh it's it's good it's fantastic stuff, and this movie yeah. is just – listeners, we've spoiled it. You know, We've talked a lot about what's <laughs> yeah. going on. I, I'm assuming most people have seen this since they're listening <laughs> to the show now. But on the off chance you haven't seen it and you don't feel it's too spoiled, you've got to check this out. Yes. It is such a fantastic movie and such a fantastic monster. I don't know why the Gorgon doesn't get used more or a Medusa doesn't get used more in film or, or even literature. I had this this conversation when I made my Medusa movie. I'm talking to one of the the actresses, and we're trying to figure out a way, creative ways that Medusa can pop out. And we ran out of ideas like very fast. And I thought about this. I was like, you can be very creative, but at the point we were in in the story, it was like there isn't very much she can do. Like as Medusa as a character is like she needs you just need to look at her and that that's it. The victims in the movie she's like, well, what if she has a knife? I was like, well, that that's that's not Medusa. That becomes a slasher characters, and I think just because she's so lashed off that she just has to stand there and you you look at her and you turn to stone, which is scary as hell in my mind at least. That's 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 frightening as hell. But there isn't much you can do with that character. I mean, that, that's what I came up with. I'll probably come up with a better creative way to introduce her in some other story later on but when I, we were filming on set i that's the idea that came up to me i was like well what can what can you do with her you know what i mean yeah and that that's that's her appeal too true yeah i i do wonder about that i mean i feel like you know we see the medusa in clash of the titans but that's got yes. all these other trappings of you know mm-hmm. mythology and adventure and fantasy story and swords and all this other stuff with the medusa character especially a modern day take the way you did yeah. i would like to see more medusa stories i mean i would like to see more with the gorgon i think it's a fascinating monster and mythology <laughs> and you approached some of the really dark stuff <laughs> When it comes yes, to her background yes. <laughs> in your film, which I appreciated, you know, and you, you really give it some weight and some heft. Oh, thanks. Without that was my complete fear was just remaking the Gorgon, which I really do not want to do. <laughs> no, and I don't think you did. You created your own. Beast. Okay, thanks, thanks. Um, I'll probably listen to this podcast and be like, "No, I came up with a better idea of how to use her." Well, that that before the sequel, right? Oh, of course, of course. The day <laughs> of Medusa. Uh, <laughs> There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. Start the Kickstarter now and then we'll – All right. <laughs> we got one approval. <laughs> no, I do like the Beast though. I do like her as a monster. I just yes. wish there was – But then I suppose too you also have to deal with the, the special effect aspect of it. Yes. And you could do the Clash of the Titans remake thing and make everything CGI. Does she even show up in that? She Did you, did you watch it? No. The, I mean, yes. She's complete CGI and – the thing about Harry again going off topic from the Gorgon. The thing about Harryhausen's and this is going back to what I said about Medusa. The thing about Harryhausen's Medusa is that she can take her time and she's crawling down the steps and she's going to turn you to stone. There's no you have no escape. They in this 
remake whenever 2010, whenever it came out, the image that's coming to mind is like the exorcist, like crawling down the stairs, like really quick. She was so fast and she was chasing everyone around. And it was a nice jump scare at the beginning. I was like, okay, this is interesting. But then after a while, she's like, oh, she's changing. The thing with Harryhausen is like the suspense. It's like, she's going to get you. She's slowly coming. There's no escape from her. With this one, she chases and then she grabs him and she forces you to look in your eyes. I was like, ah, for me anyway. And she was all CGI, which I did. (laughs) (laughs) Which you kind of have to do. And yes, you know, full disclosure, listeners, when you finally see Joshua's movie, Mm -hmm. he did some CGI optical stuff with your Medusa. But, you know, what else can you do? Exactly. And so that was my big fear with this movie is how do we how are we going to do it? How are we going to I had rubber snakes for a bit in my mind. I was like, no, let's and a CGI. Each snake is a real snake, by the way. So, I mean, it's just optically added in. It's not CGI created. Oh, okay. Yeah. Each snake is filmed individually at the local pet store. I'm just adding them in. I'm not digitally (laughs) animating them. Well, so (laughs) in your defense, in your defense. With a lot of modern films that use a lot of CGI, it's all in your face. You see it all the time. You know, the, the filmmakers, the technicians, the special effects guys are showing off. Look what I can do. Yes, in your yes, defense, yes. you still hold back and play with the shadow, play with the reflections. They're not so in your face that they lose their appeal. Thanks. Does that make sense? I don't know. If <laughs> that, that's... that makes no. That makes a lot of sense. I was uh, describing this to a friend. It's uh, I liken it to. Stop motion. I mean, the just the idea of stop motion. It's not in your face. Maybe that's not the right word. But like CGI is constantly forcing the explosions and he's flipping and he's flying through the air and he lands on his feet and it's perfect. Stop motion. Of course, the Harryhausen stop motion. I mean, it's it's there, but and you know it's not real, but you understand and you use your imagination to fill in the, the gaps of where reality meets the puppet that's being animated. Did you, do you agree? I mean, oh, you, I agree. yeah, I mean, it's amazing artistry. What Harryhausen did, the man, even though everybody sings his praises, I still feel he's underrated. You can't say enough yeah. positive things about what he did and what he brought yeah. to the, to the film genre. I mean, just to the industry altogether. He's yes. just a master, but it does have a certain look and you mm-hmm. do have to work a little bit to kind of make it all work in your brain, but it doesn't take anything away. In fact, he invites you in to make it part of the experience. Part of the effect is you taking what he gives you and jumping off from that. Yes, yes, yes. I like to think my effects are in that kind of realm where it's like, okay, you know she doesn't have snakes for hair, obviously. Spoiler, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, a podcast on the Gorgon, you know. So sorry. (laughs) People didn't know that. But yeah, you you fill in the, the imaginary gaps, and that get, that's part of the fun of it. And that goes back to the Gorgon too. You know, it's not she doesn't have snakes for hair. Spoiler alert! Sorry. <laughs> no, it it gives you enough to make the story complete. Yes, it gives you there enough. you go. It offers it all up on a platter for you, and it's up to you to kind of put it all together and, and yeah. make it work. And I think this movie does it well. I think this is one of the most underrated Hammer films. I'm yes. really excited to see what happens with your movie. I would love to do a double feature of this one and your film. I would love to see and make that happen. I don't know who has the rights to this one right now to the Gorgon, but uh, when that you just like I'm going to cry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to absolutely cry. Uh, I, I would love to great? see that happen. It'd be amazing. Um, and then the 2010 Clash of the Titan. No. I'm oh well, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like Gene Wilder and Young Frankenstein where the Madeline Kahn comes in and he's obviously been sleeping with Terry Gar and he's she she asks him as a question he's like hey, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, so that's like the Clash of the Titans hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure the rights for that one are just way too out of you know we can't afford to license that one for a night but we'll, yes. we'll find the Gorgon we'll find the Gorgon yes. and we'll work a deal with you I would love to see this done as a as a, a double feature somewhere a screening would be amazing. Oh, thanks. That oh, I didn't never even that never even crossed my mind. Thank thanks for that lovely dream. <laughs> <laughs> any any final thoughts on the Gorgon that you think we haven't really gushed too much about that listeners should know? Oh, this is this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, I mean, you don't you don't have to add into the thing, but it's it's an interesting plot point. In your opinion, what happened to Bruno the, for the guy at the beginning? Jeremy Longhurst, if we're going to get very uh, particular, he and Sasha have their little fight at the beginning of the movie, and then he walks off, and the next time we see him, he's hanging from a tree. In your opinion, what, what happened? That's the only time we see his body, right? Yes. Yeah. And do they reference his body again later? No. They, they, they're in the, the constable, the hearing, and he's like, they found him dead hanging from a tree. Uh, my final verdict is... Let me do the line. Hold on. I, will. I find that the dead woman was murdered by her fiancé, Bruno Heights, who then, in a fit of remorse, took his own life. So. So, he's not turned to stone. Mm-hmm. But he does have some wounds on his face, it looks like, right? That is true. So, are we thinking the snakes bit him? Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you um, think? Well, that's interesting because, and that goes into another thing I wanted to bring up. This is still tied together. Every time someone turns to stone, they have these little holes in there. That's a good point. So was he on the way, maybe? That's what my thought with the the holes. Do you think that's snake bites in the the people's, I mean, the people that turn to stone, when they're turning to stone, we see the holes in their their forehead. Do you think that's the snake bites, or do you think that's just a cause of you turn to stone, you get holes in your head? Is it like a psychological thing like that she's right there and the snakes are biting what what do you think where where are you i always assumed that and because i have one of a copy of the script the actual script at home Mm, uh, like a reproduction not an original and it says in the description bruno's body is found hanging from a tree there are evidence that crows have been attacking him so that as a kid that I always assumed. I was like, okay, he felt bad, and I just went with the coroner's report. It was like he he felt bad that he got her pregnant and killed himself. Then as I grew older, I started thinking about that, and I was like, what if they found Sasha's stone body first, and then they attacked him, and then and the, the blows on his head are people that like killed him and everything, and then they hung him to make it look like that. You know what, you know what I mean? Wow. So the whole court scene is them brushing that under the rug. He he felt bad. He killed himself and something. But the, that definition in the script always threw me off. It's like, so Crows, and so for a long time, I was like, ah, he, he felt bad. He killed himself. But then I went as a teenager, uh, brooding teenager, I was like, wait, what if what dark things can I add to this film? No, well, you know, she does tell him, you know, don't tell my father he'll kill you. You know, there exactly. is this. Exactly. That's the, yes. Oh. That line in the script always threw me off. Hmm. And that's, one again, another problem that a lot of people have with this. It's like there are a few questions that are unanswered and blah, blah, blah. They never – but that's – That's okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairy tale at the very end. It's like why is the evil witch evil? She just is. That's, that's who she is. Why, mm-hmm. is. why did Medusa – why did Megara, sorry, come back 2,000 years later to haunt them? It's just she just did. You don't question She just it. did. <laughs> she just did. 
so yeah, that, that that was my the one thing I wanted to discuss. Hmm. It's, it's inter- No, that's a really interesting take. I mean, I guess it's kind of up to the viewer how how dark you want to cast your villagers. Well, it will be now up to the viewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> After they hear this, spoiler alert. Because uh, that's not something that I would have thought. But no, it does. When you start to really look into it and kind of dive into it, he'll kill you if you go to him. And so then, and then it goes back to what I said about Kenoff when uh, Patrick Troughton, when they have like he's in on the thing too. So yeah. maybe they they all orchestrated it together. So uh, it just adds a, another layer. Well, I know I said I'm going to watch Hands of the Ripper here, but uh, now I want to go back and watch the Gorgon again. <laughs> yeah, it's a new, make a nice, it's a nice double feature. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, just, I might do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you got a movie to make, though, man. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's yes. True. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've got the new movie coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, people will be able to see your most recent film here soon and then you've got this new project coming up uh, the Sherlock Holmes movie are you playing Sherlock I am playing Sherlock okay uh, I'm eager to see your take on Sherlock thank you thank you I, I am too <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it gonna be a feature uh, hopefully it's the longest script yet it's like 68 pages okay. and then you add in little minutes for action and stuff so hopefully an hour 20 hour 15 that's the goal is it contemporary setting or no 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 oh nice Yes, it's my first period piece. Yes, so we're finding cobblestone roads here in the city and old buildings. Oh, boy. should be interesting. Is it an original story or one of the... It's taken from, in the volume called The Return of Sherlock Holmes, and it's the case of the empty, the adventure of the empty house and the adventure of the six Napoleons, and they're both combined. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. We shall see. Wow. All right. Well, best of luck, man. I, you thank know, you, sir. Thanks again for taking the time to talk about the Gorgon with us here. Oh. And we'll have you back on the show down the line. We just got to find some more movies to talk about. I don't think that'll be too hard. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you can follow Josh and his filmmaking adventures on Facebook. Just look up Joshua Kennedy, Man of the Arts. That's where he maintains his online presence when it comes to his movie making. Did I already say adventures? career, whatever it is. He's always posting pictures there, production updates, and there's even a photo of him in the Sherlock Holmes getup. So that's online over there on Facebook. Of course, there'll be a link to his page in the show notes as well. I'm really, really excited about you guys and gals being able to see the Night of Medusa. It's not out yet, but as soon as it does have a release date, I'll make sure I mention it here on Monster Kid Radio. You know, I cut a lot of it out, but whenever I talk to Josh, There's always a moment or two or three or four when we both talk about how awesome it would be to go to some of these double features, triple features together, that sort of thing. But then nothing would get done because all we do is sit around and talk about these monster movies, watch more monster movies, talk about it, watch another one, talk about it. But you know what? I think it would be worth it to sit down for that triple feature that he mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation. More frightening than his War of the Worlds. More imaginative than his time machine. Now, H.G. Wells' masterpiece of science fiction, The Food of the Gods. The terrifying tale of man fighting for his life against an ecology gone berserk. This is the last chance for an unsuspecting world against harmless animals and insects made huge and vicious by The Food of the Gods. Marjo Gordner. Pamela Franklin, Ralph Meeker, Ida Lupino, 
H.G. Wells' The Food of the Gods for a Taste of Hell. Rated PG. Are you going to buy me a drink? How about coming for a ride? At first, the police thought the girl had been hacked to pieces by a sex maniac. But now, investigation reveals much more. The terror they are hunting is something less than human. More monster than man. This girl wasn't born. She was assembled piece by piece from living human flesh. The killer took her apart the same way. This is what nightmares are made of. Scream and Scream Again with Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing is the ultimate in horror shock that will make you scream and scream again in color. Rated M. Come with us if you dare into a twilight world of unspeakable horror. You must die. Everybody must die. Sample, if you dare, the deadly passion of the vampire lovers. <laughs> the vampire lovers. Perverted creatures of the night find their victims everywhere. The unsuspecting merrymakers in glittering ballrooms with their young and tender throats. The sleeping beauties whose troubled dreams turn into real terrifying nightmares. It was a cat! A huge cat! For God's sake, save her! their evil hearts are still for all eternity. If one remains, yes, even one, there will be thousands more. Beware. Beware the cold caress, the kiss that kills. Beware the vampire lovers. I'm a little off my game. I haven't really been paying too close attention to what's been going on in my area when it comes to classic monster movies. I know the Joy Cinema still does their weird Wednesdays. I just haven't had an opportunity to put together a Monster Kid Radio crash, a fan event, a viewing party, whatever. I just haven't had an opportunity to do so. However, when Chris McMillan's The Shadow Over Portland posted that the Northwest Film Center here in Portland is showing white Zombie, Saturday night, March 26th at 7 p.m. 
I got stoked. I got really excited. White Zombie is one of my favorite Bela Lugosi movies. I love what he does on this film. I'm a big fan of it. When the ballot for the Monster Rally Retro Awards is released in April, you know White Zombie's going to be all over that thing because it's just an awesome film. And the Northwest Film Center, they show film. This is going to be a print so it's going to have that texture. It's going to have that extra life that you get when you're watching a film print. I know I'm going to be there. And as a bonus, it's being shown as part of a double feature with a movie called The Crime of Dr. Crespi, which I have never seen. However, it did come up here on the show way back in the day. I think probably the first or second time that I had Nicholas Hatcher on the show as a guest. And we talked about Dwight Fry. Dwight Fry is in this film, and from what I understand, it's one of his best roles. He actually gets top billing, so I'm eager to see that as well. Again, Saturday night, 7 p.m., Northwest Film Center. I'll be putting together a Facebook event, but if you are in the Portland, Oregon area, drop me a line and let me know that you're going to be there. I'd love to meet you and maybe even record with you a little bit after the show. From Haiti, land of the voodoo the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombie. Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed the certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. White zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi, as the master of the white zombie. Before we wrap up, 
I wanted to talk about something here. I wanted to talk about one of my fellow monster kids. Now, I jokingly refer to him as a podcast celebrity. When I first met him, it was through a podcast that I no longer produce anymore. But he would call in and send feedback to that show and call himself Richard from Wichita. Now, he's moved once or twice since then. He's no longer from Wichita. And these days, you might know him as Rich, the Monster Movie Kid. He is the man behind the Monster Movie Kid blog. He's been on Monster Kid Radio in the past. And I consider him a dear friend. I've said a couple of times that I view podcasting as kind of like an outgrowth of the pen pal ads that you'd find in the back of things like Famous Monsters of Filmland. You know, this internet thing, social media, Facebook, podcasting, Instagram, all of it, it brings us all together, especially us monster kids, because we become so passionate about these classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. I certainly consider Rich Chamberlain a friend outside of my podcasting activities. Well, if you follow his blog or you listen to his calls into podcasts like the B-Movie Cast, you know that last year was kind of rough. Uh, he recently lost his father, and unfortunately, uh, just recently, he lost his wife, Jerry, as well. She passed rather unexpectedly, and I just want to say to Rich Chamberlain that all of us here at Monster Kid Radio, and when I say us, granted, I'm the only producer, but... When I say us, I mean the collective audience. I think I can speak for all the Monster Kid Radio listeners, all the Monster Kids, when I say, Rich, you and your family have our deepest and most heartfelt condolences. I'm sure that me saying something here or the B-Movie cast, which gave your wife a moment of silence, or on Dread Media, you know, we talk about these things, and they're just words. And I get that. But I hope you know that we're all here for you, brother. You've got my contact information. If you need to get a hold of me or my wife, Brenda, do not hesitate. Okay, I mean that. And fellow Monster Kids, if you do come across Rich in your day-to-day life or on Facebook or whatever, give him a hug or, I don't know, a shoulder. I don't know if he's a hugger. I'm a hugger, so that's just kind of where I go. Anyway, you and your family are in the thoughts and hearts of me and my Monster Kid family. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. You can find everything else you need to know about the podcast over at monsterkidradio.net, where you'll find links to everything else that we talk about here on the show. There will be links to everything that we've mentioned. Joshua's Facebook page, that YouTube video that I mentioned where he was serenading people like Caroline Monroe, Martin Beswick. Yeah, I'll make sure there's a link to that as well. Also, on our website, you can find things like our contact information where you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call us and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We did get an email from Larry in Missouri. He wrote, Derek, have you seen the sci-fi movie? No monsters. Red Planet Mars, made in 1952, starring Peter Graves. To answer your question, Larry, um... There are a number of, countless, monster movies, sci-fi films, horror movies, classic films, whatever, that as a monster kid, as a fan, I've gone and I've seen numerous clips of, I've seen sequences, I've seen scenes here and there, I've flipped through the channel, see them on TCM, or in this case, Red Planet Mars was recently on Comet TV. I think it still is the rest of the month. I've never sat down to watch this movie start to finish. There are a ton of movies like that out there where I've seen enough to kind of know what's going on, but I've never just sat down to enjoy the film as a monster kid, as a movie viewer. Tell you what, I am going to see Red Planet Mars here soon. I have to. I mean, it came out in 1952, which makes it eligible for the second annual Monster Rally Retro Award. So I, so I kind of need to know what I'm talking about there. And besides, it looks like a lot of fun. 
So thank you for writing in, Larry. I really appreciate it. Again, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, I've got Stephen D. Sullivan coming back. I love talking to Steve. And I love talking classic monster movies with him. And I loved talking about the 1932 film, The Mummy, with Steve. Death. Eternal punishment. For anyone who opens this casket. The Mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like The Mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. So that'll be coming next week on the show. Stay tuned. It's been a little while since we've done a classic, classic. I mean, we've done a lot of kaiju films, movies from the 50s, you know, this Hammer film, whatever. But we haven't done anything from the 1930s or even 40s lately. So I think it's going to be a refreshing change of pace to bring it back to the era that started it all for us monster kids. Thank you to all the listeners this week. I appreciate all of your support. I appreciate you sharing the Facebook posts and retweeting the tweets, letting people know about Monster Kid Radio, giving us reviews in the iTunes store. Had a couple of new reviews this month, so thank you to the people who did that. And make sure you go and vote in the Rondos over at RondoAward.com. The Rondo Hat and Classic Horror Awards honors the best in classic horror research, creativity, and film preservation. The ballot this year, it's the 14th annual ballot, and it's packed with a ton of good movies, TV shows, books, articles, interviews, horror hosts, podcasts, magazine covers. And this is a comprehensive list. So go check it out. You don't have to vote in every single category. However, I am going to ask that you do me a favor. There is a write-in category. This is the Monster Kid Hall of Fame category. It's category number 27. The category asks which fans, pros, writers, researchers, horror hosts, or others should be inducted into the Rondo Awards Monster Kid Hall of Fame. Suggest up to six names, and then it goes on to list previous inductees. I mentioned this last week. I'm probably going to keep mentioning it week after week because I believe that people like Ron Adams, the man who created the Monster Bash Horror Convention, Victoria Price, who's been doing a ton of incredible work, continuing to promote her father, Vincent Price's importance to the genre, the industry, to art, to literature. I mean, she's just doing an awesome job, and she deserves the recognition. And, of course, Vince Rotolo, the podcaster and creator of the B-Movie Cast, which is one of the granddaddies of retro genre podcasting. Without Vince Rotolo, I can tell you that I would not be the podcaster that I am today, and I know there are other podcasters that feel the same way. A lot of times we talk about this community of monster kids. Well, the B-Movie cast, they call their listeners the clubhouse. And I'm proud to be part of that clubhouse. 
And by extension, since you're listening to me, you're kind of part of that clubhouse too. So if nothing else, when you go to the Rondos, please consider supporting those three individuals and nominating them for the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. RondoAward.com is where you would go to find that. And remember, you don't have to vote in every category, okay? I know it can be overwhelming. It's cool. If you only want to vote in one and two, that's fine. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All the original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, except for the song Knife Bumps. That belongs to the band The Jagaloons. They're based out of Albany, New York, and it looks like they've already done a couple of shows over the past couple of months. But tell you what, if you can't see them in person, at least go to their website, The jagaloons.bandcamp.com and pick up their album Knife Bumps Demo. That's where this song is, as well as five other awesome tracks. Go check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week when we have Steve here with Boris Karloff in The Mummy. (laughs) 